right, guys, welcome back to another edition of Property Players, where we're talking everything real estate. Today, guys, I'm bringing you another special guest. Me and this young lady just got connected recently, but after us talking for for a bit briefly, I actually know that she's going to bring so much value to everyone that's out there listening. So I want to introduce you to Michelle Kinney. Is that how you say your last name, Kinney? Yes, sir. Excellent. Shelly Kinney, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pleasure is definitely mine. So, um, you know, on this podcast, we're talking all things real estate. I'm going to get to your story in a bit, but like, you know, you have some extensive knowledge I know in the industry. I want to be able to share that with some of our listeners before, before we jump in though, like give me the origin story. Let's just, let's jump straight into you, Shelly, and who you are. How'd you get here? Where you got started in the industry? Take me as far back as you want to start and tell me about you. Um, well, I actually started in the industry in 1990. I got a job with a small uh, mortgage company that was owned by a small builder in Arlington, Texas, and started out as the receptionist. And a few months later was the setup girl. And yes, in the 90s, you were called the setup girl. It was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, and moved from that into processing and many years in processing and then on towards underwriting and then on towards operations management and escalation. So Processing, closing, underwriting, insuring, investor delivery, everything operations, did all the escalations. Basically, it was second signing on mortgages up to $2 million. Um, And then I decided after a while with the bank to take a little bit of a step back, which lasted not very long. (laughs) And then I ended up director of credit risk and national underwriting director and now uh, moved on to a loan officer position, which gives me a little more flexibility now that my kids are in high school and thinking about going to college and um, lets me get out of the office a little bit, lets me move around. So I'm really excited about this new last chapter. After this, I will have done everything in the mortgage industry. I was going to say, I think that would cover every single position in the mortgage industry. <laughs> yeah. I think only the hedging and betting uh secondary desk. I have not worked on that. <laughs> that is too stressful for me. <laughs> Got it. Wow, man. Okay. So that's, that's a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm going to take you even further back. Why, why did you get into, why did you become the desk girl? Right? Like what happened there to get you oh, into the industry? Well, I needed a job. Well, that's a start. <laughs> my, my first husband's mother's friend mm. worked for the insurance company that shared the receptionist with the mortgage company. So I got that job and it just kind of went from there. So no specific reason other than you just needed a job. Yes. You didn't have a passion. I didn't have a passion for real estate or mortgages or mortgages. none of that stuff. Okay. No. Got it. Um, it's, it's been 28 years of OJT. Mm, got it. And then through your journey, right? Through all those positions, did you have a favorite position out of all of them that you're like, hey, this was like my my favorite time, right, in in this process? That's that's a really good question. Different aspects were really fun. Anything that in each position, each time we got to have that win and know that that customer was getting their keys. Mm-hmm. My whole thing was it's Friday afternoon, you know, everybody gets keys. So <laughs> there, there would be times whenever, you know, the sh- I'm in the corporate office, the 13th floor, uptown Dallas, but my shoes are off and I'm running from department to department, making sure the wires get out. So, Absolutely. you know, I mean, that, that kind of moving and shaking and knowing you did a good job at the end of the day and your team really came through and everybody's moving van 
is, is going to arrive on time. That's the part of it all that really felt the best. Got it. Got it. How did you work your way up? Was it people were always seeking you out because you just did your job the best at that level? Or are you just naturally ambitious and you're like, I want to go here and I want to do this and then I want to go there? Actually, no, I was, it was more being sought out. I really, when I processed for years, I, that was fine. You know, I really didn't have a huge ambition to go into underwriting. Sure. But someone said, you know, your your loans, you, you should be an underwriter, right? <laughs> your loans come in and then they go straight to closing. There's no reason for us. And I actually had an underwriting manager tell me there's no reason for us to even look at your loans. <laughs> so for a while I was processing and underwriting my own loans at the same time because- wow. They said there's no reason to. So it just kind of went from there. It just kind of went from there. That that makes sense, right? I'm always trying to get a feel of people that are just naturally ambitious and they're seeking out the opportunity to get to the next level versus the other people that, right, they just do their job well at every level and I, I think it's thought out. Seeking excellence rather than seeking promotion. Wow, um, always, always be excellent at what you do and then the promotions and, and the and the future success will come your way. That makes sense. That, that makes total sense. Question, this will take you all the way back. What does it take to be a good desk girl? Like you just, you're, you answer phone calls well, you get back to people timely. Like what, what does it take? Well, so you have to remember, this was the 1990s. Right? I, I do remember. <laughs> Not today. Right. There, was, there was no press button one to get to the operator or dial in your person's extension. So gotcha. it, it was literally like you see on television with the phone, with all the lights lighting up and the push buttons for the different lines and transferring people. But really what it takes is caring about each person that calls right. and making sure that they know that you care about them. Um, and that, you know, you can feel that today. Right. If you call and, and you dial to get the, the operator and that operator asks, how could they help you? And you can hear the smile in their voice. All of a sudden, your experience with that company is already good. And, and you're anticipating good things to happen, which means your entire experience on that call, regardless of how many times you're transferred or anything else, since you've been set up with the idea in your head that it's going to be a good experience, it generally is a much better experience than the ones that you know, you can tell they didn't want to be there that day. Absolutely. Customer service, right? Like at the end of the day, it's just people, right? <laughs> every industry, every industry we deal with, like, it's just, it's just people. Like, are you good with people? Can, do you have a smile on your face when you're answering the phone? If no one's in front of you, or are you just going through the motion? So sounds like you were that, that girl, that desk girl that just made, <laughs> that made it happen. So that probably says a lot about where you're at right now. As, as I move forward in your timeline, was there one of those areas that stopped you that you said like, man, I really love this part. Like this is where I want to be in mortgages. Was there like an in part of the industry like that? You know, I really can't say that there was. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's been a really interesting journey. And, and each one of those positions you know, really early when I started processing, there were a few, you know, hiding in the in the bathroom stall and crying <laughs> because it can be just that stressful. Tell, tell, tell us about those days. Like those are the those are the interesting days. Like what what makes so, it super stressful? So the the one that I can remember the best is I was working for a mortgage banker, but this particular loan had to go to the investor for underwriting. It was a big loan. And um, the product he wanted was only with this one investor and we were not delegated. So, um, and I'd sent several over to that same investor and they were turning them in 
48, 72 hours. So I'd set up the anticipation with the customer of 72 hours or so for whatever reason. I don't know what happened with them. The wheels fell off their bus. It took them two weeks to underwrite this loan. Every day I'm calling him to update him. I'm sorry. I, I called them and it's still in line. And here's your new estimated date that they've given me. And eventually, of course, the poor guy, he got upset, right? Yeah. I hated calling him to disappoint him every day. But eventually he got upset and, and he just went off. And, you know, there's there's nothing you can say. I mean, right. he was yelling and screaming and cussing and telling me what a moron I was and how I didn't know how to do my job and how how just what a bad job I was doing. Right. And all you can do is say, I'm, sir, I'm so sorry. You know, I understand how you're feeling. I'm doing all I can. I promise I, I'm sitting on this. I'm calling them every day. Yeah. And after about 30 minutes of getting yelled at, you just kind of have to go get some relief, right? <laughs> because there's no, you can never, you can never get there with them, right? No. You just have to kind of take it and smile and apologize profusely and do everything you can to make it right, which at that point was nothing because, right. you know, the investor was tired of hearing from me. Sure. So that was kind of the one I remember the best of just go into the bathroom close the door. <laughs> let, it let it all out. Just let it all out. I get it. I get it. I, I came from the restaurant industry, right? So it's, I'm, I make the parallel because people don't understand if you haven't worked in a restaurant ever, mm-hmm. right? Dealing with hungry people is possibly <laughs> the one of the worst things, but it gives you the most amount of patience to deal with people. But I've had a lot of those where people will just chew you out to your face and what can you do? But like, I, I didn't really go in the bathroom and cry. I'm not that... Uh, <laughs> I wasn't as in touch with that side, <laughs> but it's definitely, it's definitely, you know, challenging when, you know, you disappoint people or people are disappointed and you know, you're in the wrong or if it's not in your control, right? Some, if someone's in the wrong and you just got to take it, right? And you're, you you're, the, you're the face of the company at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's exactly what it's about. So fast forward, where are you at now? What, what is your, your actual position right now in the industry? So, my actual position right now is assistant branch manager, excuse me, assistant branch manager slash senior loan officer. So I am selling, working with realtors and borrowers and builders. And at the same time, I'm helping run the branches pipeline. And that just comes from, it, it's a natural thing for me to do. So for me to run a pipeline is a whole lot faster for some other people who have never been in the operations side. And in this particular branch, our loan officer assistant and processor are there in the branch. So they kind of needed some cohesion and making sure that they were working well together and making sure that our, our pipeline was moving the way it should. And that was just something that my branch managers at the time, they've got so many other things to do, didn't have time to focus on. So I'm kind of managing the pipeline 20%. And then acting as a loan officer about 80% of the time. For people that maybe this is their first time understanding kind of the loan side or the, or, you know, managing a pipeline, like how would you explain that to someone that's brand new that just doesn't understand what you do? Okay. So anytime a loan officer takes a loan application, um, there's a lot that goes on in the background that makes sure the data is good. If it's a Conforming our government loan, there's an automated underwriting engine that needs to be run. And we got to make sure that everything's input correctly so that you get good results from that and accurate results. Then there is the setting up of the needs list for the borrower. Here's the items that are needed to complete your file. Ordering the appraisal, ordering the title work, 
flood cert, just, just lots of things. And, and you do all of those things or yeah. how, how do they get delegated? So up until that point, typically your loan officer assistant does those. There are some loan officers like myself, one other person in the office that likes to put that needs list together, make sure the data is good themselves before they hand it off. And then the loan officer assistant will order everything, kind of double check and make sure we haven't missed a box. And once those documents are back from the borrower, the credit documents, pay stubs, bank statements, tax returns if necessary, then it goes over to the processor who then double checks again to make sure there's nothing missing, make sure, you know, nobody missed checking a box or getting a document and then forwarding it on to the underwriting department, who is kind of the final say in whether or not you've all done your job right and whether or not um, the borrower actually qualifies for the loan. And then once it's approved, then it goes to the closing department. So everything up until it gets to underwriting is kind of what we're managing here. The pipeline being the list of loans that are in the branch. You know, 20, 30, 40 people are trying to close on their house that month, whether it's a refinance or a purchase. And we have to make sure that no one falls through the cracks. Everyone's getting attention. Everybody's loan is making it through the steps in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. And if there are any hiccups, any questions, there's an odd situation with, you know, Mr. Bill, mm. what do we do? Having a resource there to help them through that question. Absolutely. So you are dealing more with, I would guess, the clients or you're dealing more with like internal people in the branch? Both. 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 So 20% internal people with the branch gotcha. and 80% with the clients and, and real estate partners. Excellent. I'm curious, and this just this question just popped up. Where were you in 2007, 2008? What, what was your position back then? I was the VP of operations for a company called Colonial Bank. Okay. And Colonial Bank was doing great. They did a wonderful job of having lots of loan loss reserves. They weren't leveraged like everybody else. Got it. But unfortunately, we were also the warehouse lender for Taylor Bean and Whitaker, which if you were in the industry then, we remember that they were kind of almost step one of the mortgage bankers who went down. Mm-hmm. And our warehouse manager, our warehouse line manager, and the leadership at Taylor Bean were in cahoots. And so anyway, we went into receivership. <laughs> <laughs> and then in August of 2009, a bank out of North Carolina, bb and Branch Banking and Trust, came and bought us. And kept me on as the VP of uh, regional ops for them in Texas. Was it crazy during that time? Like what, what was like the office, like what was the environment like when all, when all that chaos was happening? Take us through that. I'm just, I'm curious. (laughs) So there there were a few things going on and and it was very, very stressful. You didn't know if you were going to be piecemealed, you know, Mm -hmm. parted out to different banks. You didn't know who was going to come and purchase you in the FDIC And at the same time, you still have that pipeline of borrowers that you have to get loans closed. You can't say, sorry, guys. So we had all of our title companies were requiring us to send wires 48 hours in advance. (laughs) They didn't want to be stuck without their money, so they wouldn't schedule a closing without the wire. So uh, we were scrambling to get everything done well in advance of closing so that we could assure everybody that they were actually having a closing. And meanwhile, the sales force and a lot of the operations staff were desperately looking for a new home. Sure. And I completely understood that because they didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, uncertainty is 
is your worst enemy in business. I, I was going to tell you that like that uncertainty during that time had to be crazy. And I wasn't right. Like I wasn't in the industry. I was working in restaurants at that time, but Lucky. now yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Lucky me. But I, I'm always curious because I look back on that time and I now I know a lot of people that were in the industry during that time and just hearing the stories of what they were going through either, you know, at their at their office or with their actual investments or their properties or whatever it was like it was just a really rough time. Well, you know, I knowing as I did that the public information about the bank I worked for was really, really strong yeah. and not knowing about the back office fraud. I lost investments there too because I invested in the company. I'm like, this is this is gonna be one of the banks that lasts. Right. And so, you know, you, you know, I lost a, a little penny in that one. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't fun. That's tough. That's tough. But either way, you made it through. You made right. it out, right? And we we're back at this place. Do, do you ever see stuff like that happening again? I'm I'm just curious your take on that. Do you see Whatever happened, two thousand, whatever the causes were, right? We know, right? Being over leveraged and and right, all that stuff. You see it happening again? Well, not to that extent. I think okay. we'll have a few small players, of course, that don't make good decisions sure. and get themselves in over their head. I don't see banks going that way. It just well, at least not in my lifetime. You know, sure. <laughs> that. Sure. And and part of that is the regulatory environment, but part of it is just. As long as, as folks who live through it are still in the business, mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of risk they're not going to be willing to take. You know, that, it's just not acceptable risk. Um, and so they're a little bit more careful. Got it. That makes sense. That makes complete sense. So again, back to, I know we jump back. I'm, I'm always all over the place, but either way, either way. Now where you're at right now, let's give some value to some of the people that are like home buyers, the people that might be listening and they're like, well, are you the person I go to if I'm looking to buy a home? Are you the first step? Are you the second step? Where do you come into play? Well, typically, you want to see what you can afford before you go out and start looking at what's available, right? Because you want to stay in your price point. So talking to a loan officer is very important um, and getting pre-qualified for first or usually first or early second, because usually your realtor is going to ask, you know, have you been pre-qualified and for how much so that they know what to show you. So yeah, I would say the first step, see, see what you're pre-qualified for. Don't waste a lot of your time looking at houses that are either too far below or too far above your budget. Make sure that you, you know, you have your pre-qualification letter, you know what your budget is. And then within that budget, what's comfortable for you. We may qualify you at the highest thing you can afford. That may not be what you want to spend. And that's okay. You don't have to buy the most expensive thing that you can afford, but at least you know where that limit is and and you're not going to go fall in love with something that you're not going to be able to buy. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's what's the pre-qualifying process? Like what what do you do on your end to qualify? So typically the buyer borrower has a few options. Um, we have a great mobile app, and I, I tell everybody to use it. You can use it on your desktop or you can use it on your cell phone, but it's a great way to stay in touch through the process as well. You get automated updates and whatnot. Fill out some basic information, name, address, social, date of birth, where you've worked for two years, where you've lived for two years, how much money you make each month, and how much money you have in the bank. Gotcha. Pretty simple. Then we speak to you, or you can click the button and allow us to pull your credit. And at that point, myself, I'll go in and, and kind of play with your numbers and go, you know, 
this is kind of what they're thinking. It's always nice to have an idea of what the borrower's thinking so that if for some reason they're thinking pretty, a little bit high, higher than what you can give them options. You know, hey, you're a little bit high on your budget right now, but if you do the following two or three things, then it'll fit right in. So it's, you want to kind of have an idea of what they're thinking about or not at all. If they have no idea, that's easy. I'll go in and you can almost eyeball it after a while and know here's, you know, about where we want to be and then adjust it up and down to get it just right. I was going to say, by by this time, you have to have a lot of knowledge of just how to knock these out pretty quickly because you see them come in. Oh, yeah. I've had people send me their information at eight o'clock at night and they've got a a prequal letter by nine o'clock at night. And so they can send in that offer that they've been working on with the realtor. Got it. So yeah, it doesn't take that long. I, I prefer, I prefer stopping around seven, but if necessary, <laughs> you'll you, you'll make the sacrifice, right? Absolutely. I mean, I don't want anybody to lose a house because it's you know eight o'clock on a Saturday. Excellence, right? Excellence at your position. Absolutely. That's it. That's what it's about. <laughs> what should people be looking for in a good loan officer? You know, somebody that that's going to pre-qualify them. Is there some type of criteria that someone should look for? Well, you know, how long have you been in the business, right? That's always good. And not to say that some really new loan officers aren't really good, but if you've got a choice between two and one's been around a little bit longer, there's some really great options out there. Now, I can tell you that sometimes the negative out is reported more often than the positive. But if you find somebody on Zillow or Realtor.com that has some great reviews, you know, I'm, I'm all about if I'm going to go to a restaurant, how many stars does it have? Right. Sure. <laughs> I want yeah. to know, you know, <laughs> you have a star. Right. There. Um, <laughs> but really, you know, so kind of ask some questions. Are, are you willing to meet with me face to face? Talk about this. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you don't want anybody that's going to say, no, I don't, I'm not going to ever meet you face to face. You can't come to my office. Right. That's, that's kind of rough. You know, are, are there people out there like that? Like, are there like lone people that are like, no, you can't come meet me. Like it just, it's yeah, there, 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 there are, there are some companies where, you know, their loan officers may work remote in mm-hmm. some other part of the of the country. And and it's for some people, maybe that's okay, you know, the generation sure. of everything online. Sure. But if you're the type of person that would like to kind of lay eyes on somebody and, yeah. and you know, look them in the eye and see how, how they're treating you, that's yeah. important. And I think that's important in my area. Right. Um, to be willing and able to meet people face to face. And that's good. But it leads me to this question because I ask a lot of people about, you know, social media and how, right, social media has disrupted their industry mm-hmm. because I believe it disru- it's disrupting everyone's industry to a degree. How have you seen it disrupt your, your industry? Well, you know, everything now, and, and I think it's kind of funny because everything's a fad, right? Mm-hmm. So right now, everybody thinks that Facebook ads are the way to go. And everybody wants to sell you their ability to make a great Facebook ad. And, you know, I can honestly tell you, I've used some Facebook ads just because people are on Facebook all the time. Absolutely. And I see other people's ads. So, you know, (laughs) be mine too. Exactly. But I really see that almost as it's like direct mail isn't what it used to be, but it still has some value. I think, I think online ads are going to become so disproportionate of what we see when we go online mm. that eventually they're not going to have the value that they have. It's going to be like that paper that 
you know, you sure. flip them and put it in the recycle bin. Sure. You're going to start ignoring them. So I kind of see it's it's the latest fad. It's, it's the latest disruption. Yeah. But you just roll with it. Okay. I'll do Facebook ads. I'll, I'll put it out there. You know, I also have yard signs and I still have direct mail. So you, you can't leave any It all works. Yeah. It all works. It, it, it all works. I'm, I'll tell you, I'm a big proponent of Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, like all of social media, because I just believe that it's disrupting everything. And it's just a great communication tool. I also have run Facebook ads. I've run, you know, have you been successful at running Facebook ads? Because that's a big difference, right? Like, did it get you the, the desired outcome or not really? You know, it's kind of funny because I started out doing boost, boosted posts, okay. which are actually the lesser expensive type. Mm-hmm. And that worked really, really well. And, and I did have some really good outcome. Um, I got many more followers than I had before, had some comments come back, you know, liking the ad, got some contacts with um, individual borrowers, which is important. You know, sure. you have to bring that to your realtors too, you know, sure. you have to be able to refer to them as well. Right. And then I did, and I thought it came out really, really well. Mm-hmm. And an actual ad. Okay. Right. Yeah. But I think I set the per click budget a little low <laughs> because I don't, you know, the way Facebook has, has you bid on it, right? Sure. And they tell you, oh, it has nothing to do with the per click amount. It has everything to do with <laughs> it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm working on a second one now and still going to hit, you know, my local market because yeah. I like to reinvest in the market in which I live, right? Sure. Yeah. And the surrounding areas, sure. local counties. But probably spend a little bit more on, on my per click. What, what were you putting at? Like what that first ad, what was it? Was it you? Was it a video? Was it a picture? Like, Well, it was a video. It was a series of pictures with voice. And then if you're not listening, the, the scripting down at the bottom. Gotcha. And I thought it came out pretty good. It, it was cute. Gotcha. Um, but I don't know if, if it was as attention grabbing as my first, it was my first shot at doing it. So we're going to do something a little bit more jazzy this time. I understand completely. I've been running Facebook ads for probably year and a half, Yeah. year and a half now. And it's such a trial and error thing, Shelly, like just to be honest with you, like the biggest thing that people I struggled with, and I know a lot of people struggle with because I try to help people through it because I've, I've gotten through it and I've had some real success. Like I'm talking, making like major commissions, hundreds of leads, right? Like I've actually had real success with Facebook ads. Awesome. And, and what I found is, right, you have, it's all about the targeting, right? There's, mm-hmm. three, there's three different components to your ad, right? It's the actual creative, like the video picture, whatever that is, the words, the copy, and then the targeting. And all three of them have to be in line in order for you to actually have a successful ad. The problem is we, most people, we only focus on one of those and not all three. So then we think that the ad, like the Facebook ad doesn't work, but it's just, it's improper targeting or, or not good copy or the creative just wasn't good. Right. Right. So you constantly have to play around with all three of those. That's why it's trial and error because I've run ads, Facebook ads where I'll put out content. And I'll be like, it doesn't get the actual response that I want. So I'll go in and I'll just change the copy. I'll keep the creative the same, but I'll change the copy and then I'll run it again. And if it still doesn't do it, then I'll go back and I'll change the creative. And then the creative is different, but the copy is similar. And then if neither one of those work, I'll go in and I'll change the targeting. 
And I'll say just the people that I'm targeting are the wrong demographic. Right. And or when it comes to like, like you said, not putting enough money behind it, yeah. that only matters for targeting. Because if you're trying to target a similar market that another company that puts more money behind their ad is still trying to target, you'll right. lose. Yeah. Right. That's, that's just almost, it, I'm sure is 90% of, of what was wrong with this one. Sure. Right. It's, it, it's a, it's a really good market. I mean, I'm in a really good market. Yeah. Lots of people market to this market. And then you got to fight for it. Right. You got to put money behind it. You got to put more money behind it. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. But I'll tell you, you know, face, Facebook ads, they definitely do work. So like stick at it. Right. If, it, it definitely is a medium that um, will help. And if you like, if you find that one ad that works, you just can run it over and over again. It could actually be the catalyst for your business to, to kind of blow up. But again, I just know social media is so important and that's why I always jump, jump in. But it's interesting to hear how, right, how it's disrupted your, your industry. Cause I'm in the financial services space and it's disrupted our industry like crazy. And I'm trying to learn it and figure it out. I just have been a little bit more ahead of the curve. You know what I mean? I think, I think overall mortgage mortgage folks are a little bit behind the curve. Yeah. I don't see mortgage loan officer Facebook ads. I know. You know, I haven't seen one. I haven't either. So, you know, I figure it's, it's, it's gotta be kind of open in my market if I'm going to go, you know, 10, 15 miles as myself as a radius. Right. Absolutely. It is. I'm not seeing it. My next door neighbor's not seeing it either. Exactly. You just have to figure out how to how to really get detailed targeting. Like if you focus on like the details of the targeting, I think that's where you'll find the most success because it's not just that simple. I wouldn't think it's as simple as this mile, you know, the 15 mile radius or the 20 mile radius. You're thinking who specifically do I want to have as the client, right? Am I looking for the lookalike aspect? Right. The, I'm looking for the the married couple that just moved into their home three years ago that's that likes real estate pages, but also likes cooking. And then my ad happens to be a cooking ad that links into, <laughs> right? Like that's how you, you have to think of like how your prospect is going to stop and click. And it may not always be what has to do with your business. It may be what they're thinking about. And then you just put an ad that has to I do with- I had a bigger kitchen because I love to cook. See? <laughs> I've, got no, I've got no room to chop anything else. That's, that's how you do it though, right? Like you just, you, you start to talk about the things that you love. Hence why I do this podcast, right? One of the reasons I do this podcast is because, right? I just want people's message to get out there. The fact that you just said that you love to cook, right? Before you know it, somebody, someone might hit, hit you up and say like, I like cooking too. Like maybe you should come teach me da da da. And then before you know it, they're a client, right? You never know how it works. Exactly. You really know. But that being said about, you know, social media, Instagram, all, all that good stuff. Where, what, what challenges are facing your, the, the industry right now? Like what challenges are facing loans outside of social media and that stuff? So, uh, you know, there, there are a couple things and, you know, the, the market is one, we were all in a very dry market where there were no listings mm. and we had a lot of our buyers get discouraged. Right. So they all decided to take a break. And just then everyone wanted to list their house. Of course. <laughs> so it's, it's been a little out of sync. And of course the sellers still think that they should have a bidding war, um, but they don't realize that things have changed. And the buyers, you know, now it's educating the buyers. Hey, there is inventory now. Let's get you back out there and get you into something. While at the same time, I know anybody who follows financials has heard about the bond market mm -hmm. and yay, now interest rates are going up because yay. we had a huge bond market sell-off. 
But again, you know, if you think about it, my first mortgage in 1992 was a 7.5% interest rate. Oh my and I thought that was awesome. That was a great rate. <laughs> wow. So, you know, if we're sitting at five right now, we're still, there's still plenty of people that qualify for a home. So I, I always tell people, don't let, don't let the rates bother you. You Absolutely. know, Absolutely. We'll, we'll get you in a home, but that's a mindset for your buyers. You know, they hear, Oh my gosh, interest rates are going up right. and maybe now's not the time. It's like, well, they're not going to go down. Yeah. So, you know, that's the, one of the things we have to remember is it's, it's not going to do a 180 in the next year. It's, it's going to go up or it's going to stay. So, yeah. you know, let's go ahead and get you in a house. And then, you know, the third thing that is finally starting to loosen up was the unavailability of credit. Mm. Everybody wanted to be really tight. And there were still lenders out there like Fairway that did a really great job of, you know, getting government borrowers in, um, still having bond products to help the first time home buyer with a down payment and things of that nature. But once you get up kind of in the higher range of the conforming or jumbo loans, it was really hard to get a self-employed borrower into a $500,000 mortgage. It, it was very difficult and it was disheartening for them. Fortunately, some people have stepped into the into the fray mm -hmm. and are offering some alternative mortgages for folks that need it. A little bit looser guidelines, um, still qualifying, still making sure that you know sure. they're they're going to be successful, but being a little bit more flexible. And in doing that, and having this competition come into the market, some of the bigger banks have started to relax a little bit too and kind of expand that credit. So. It's still a, a little bit difficult. It's not as easy to get the good, the higher loan amounts as it used to be, right. but it is improving. So, you know, now we have options for people. Got it. My, my wife and I struggled with that because we're self-employed, right? And we've written so much off for tax purposes, right? Mm -hmm. That like, it was always a struggle for us when we would look at like, oh, we think because we normally would rent, like we're not big on home ownership as a per like personally, we like it as an investment. But we that was always a struggle. That was always a struggle because our, our AGI was always so so much lower than you know what we actually made. Because right. you run so much off, you know? Well, and you're sitting there and you're paying three or $4,000 a month in rent. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I should just go, even if you're, even if you're going to turn it into an investment property when you decide to move to Kansas or wherever your next move is, right? Right, right. But at least you're gaining equity with that three to $4,000 a month, right? I mean, there are people literally in an apartment, not five miles from me, paying over $3,000 a month for an apartment. That That's is crazy. crazy. That is crazy. Come on, let's, put you, let's put you in a really nice house. You right. know? <laughs> something really nice. But like you said, there was, you know, the self-employed borrower, if you have an accountant worth his, worth his salt, then you're, he's going to write off a lot of stuff. Exactly. But now there are alternatives. There are bank statement loans and there are profit and loss loans and there are asset loans. So, you know, if you've been able to sock that money away or you can show the cash flow on your bank statement, then there's an option for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. How, how are you guys educating consumers, right? Like, cause a lot of the stuff I'm sure most of some of our listeners may not know, like, how do people know how to get this information? Are you giving it or seminars, flyers? Like, what do you guys do? So flyers? Yes. Some of that is some of the direct mail and some of the online positioning, some of the boosting posts and going to be some ads coming out. You're welcome. I, <laughs> well, actually, I have one in mind that I was already working on, and yeah, part of it is going to be a, a series of 
of cartoon shorts that, gotcha. that talk about, you know, some of these challenges that, are, that people are having and that there are solutions and, and here let's contact and get it done. But so there's that, there's educating realtors, you know, um, having lunch and learns with them, talking to them on a one-on-one basis. Um, I like to not only talk to them, but also provide some nice glossy, pretty little product summaries for them so that whenever they're talking to someone that maybe walks in, if they're a builder, they walk in and start talking to them or the realtor, they call them on the phone. They're like, well, I'd really like to see some real estate. And they're like, well, I'll be prequel. Well, I'm not sure if I'm ready because of this. Like, wait a second. I think I've got somebody over here, you know, why don't you talk to this person and see if it's a possibility. And then, so it's kind of, you have to do the three prong, right? You have to do the individual, whether that's, through direct mail, online, person to person, you know, going to the chili cook off and talking right. to people, whatever it is. <laughs> right. um, they're your partners, you know, your realtors that are out there talking to all these people and then your builders. Absolutely. So there's, and your, your non sales partners. So title companies, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, get the word out, be on that, be on the podcast and let them know, Hey, that's, that's, not, that's not a deal breaker necessarily. Give us a call. That's it. That's that's it. And hopefully for everyone that's listening out there, like you guys heard that, right? Like it's just a matter of shaking hands. If, if you want to get out there, whatever you do, you just got to shake hands. You got to be personable. We're a people business, right? It's just how how good are you at building relationships and doing those type of things? It'll amount to success eventually. So Shelly, I appreciate you being on. Before I before we wrap this up, tell everybody where they can find you. If that you have a website or something, or someplace on, on social media that they can yeah, find I you. I have a Facebook page um, and it's under Shelly Stevenson Kenny. So don't forget the Stevenson part with a V. Also, my website is shellykenny-mortgage.com. Okay. Um, and my phone number, call me anytime, 469-438-7235. And Chris, you know, I always answer the phone. <laughs> That's right. She does. That's funny, right? We learn a lot from each other on Facebook. So, uh, Shelly, I, I appreciate you and everyone that's listening. Please reach out. You can tell that this young lady has a ton of experience, a ton of knowledge. She's obviously there to help. I've always told you guys, and I'll continue to tell you, the people that I bring on this podcast are here to add value to you. Not here try, trying to sell you anything or do anything that maybe you wouldn't like. We're trying to add value. So if you have ambition to get a house, to get an investment property, to understand more about the industry, whatever it is, we're just going to be a resource for you. So again, Shelly, thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. Absolutely. And until next time, guys, signing out of Property Players Podcast. We'll catch you guys later. Take care. <laughs>